Go to the book of Revelation, everybody, chapter 2. The book of Revelation, chapter 2. I'm going to read about the lesson that Jesus gives the church in a place called Pergamos. And the reason I'm doing this tonight is because of something that Pastor Victor had mentioned this morning. He says, because of the whole COVID crisis and because of all of the questions and the antichrist spirit and the vaccines and all of the mandating and all of the end of the world signs that have been being fulfilled, it's good to read the book of Revelation, which is the apocalypse, the Bible tells us exactly how the world will end. It tells us all the details about Satan and this man, the Antichrist. And it begins by Jesus speaking to the churches. And one of the churches that he speaks to here in Revelation chapter 2 is a church called Pergamos. And what he does is he's encouraging them in a very difficult place and in a very difficult time, that's you and I. Right now, we are in a difficult time. Can you say amen? amen? People are always asking me. I'm getting phone calls, texts, and emails all the time about what are we supposed to be doing in these last days when they're looking at men becoming women in the world and women becoming men. They're looking at abortion. It's not just abortion like we heard about in the 60s and 70s, now you're talking about actually letting a child die after he's been born because the mother doesn't want them. You're talking about a whole new aspect of life that never existed years ago because these are the perilous times that the Bible talked about. And you and I are very fortunate that we get to live in these perilous times because what that simply means is the church can shine even more brighter in the darkness. Come on, everybody. And you know when you put a light on in the darkness, hey, everybody can see the light. You put a light on in the bright daytime, you would never even know that it's on. So we are in dark moments right now, and the light can shine even brighter. And so I think it's a privilege for us to be alive in this generation and to be God's voice and God's light in this time of darkness. So in this scripture that I'm going to read to you, there is a Christian church in this place called Pergamos. And Jesus addresses them just as if he would be addressing us tonight. And I want to read to you Revelation chapter 2, verse 12 down to verse 17. And I want to talk to you about what he says here about something called a white stone. So just follow it with me tonight in the Bible. It's Revelation 2, starting at verse 12. If you're ready, say amen. amen. All right. The words are going to be projected from the Bible right behind me on the screen. If you've got your Bible, just follow it with me and mark some of these Bible verses. All right. These are the words of Jesus. And so I want you to follow them. Here's what it says. Verse 12. It says, and to the angel of the church in Pergamos, write... Right, these things, says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. Verse 13 says, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. 
and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Now, before I go on, just make sure that you notice how Jesus specifically highlights that the church in Pergamos is ministering in a place where Satan dwells. All right, he mentions where Satan has his throne. And then he says, where Satan dwells. This is a very, very important part of the revelation of this scripture. All right, verse 14. Then he says, but I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus, you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate. Verse 16 says, repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against you with the sword of my mouth. Verse 17 says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. To him who what? Mm-hmm. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone and on the stone a new name written which no one knows except him who receives it. Father, we need clarity tonight from this passage. We ask that your word would be a light unto our path and that you would make it clear for us here tonight and before we leave this service, oh God, may we be way more in tune with you than when we came. Allow your spirit to strengthen us and give us what we need from this passage tonight to live for you in these dark days. Oh, how we thank you tonight and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Now, everybody look up here at me because one of the great lessons of the New Testament is the lesson of you being an overcomer. In other words, no matter what it is that we face in life, the Bible gives all of us a promise that we can overcome. Say amen, somebody. The scripture goes so far as to say, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. In other words, what he is saying is no matter what it is that you're dealing with in life, nothing out there will ever be greater than he that is in here. Thank you, Jesus, tonight. So you can walk 
into the midst of any fire. You can walk into the midst of any confusion or any difficulty. And you can pretty much know that as long as God is in me, I can come out the other side victorious. Folks, I have to hold on to that every single day. When demons are raging and bad news is coming on the TV and on the internet and in the newspaper, I've got to be able to look beyond all of that and know that even though it sounds bad, it feels bad, and it looks bad, it's going to be all right because the greater one lives inside of us. Come on, shout amen with me, somebody. In John's message, his epistle, in 1 John chapter 4, I believe it's verse number 4. 1 John 4, verse 4. Let me just take you there real quickly. <clears throat> 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 in the New Testament. The Bible says, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He said, you are of God, little children. And then he says, so you have overcome them. Hallelujah. So when God says this, in other words, before you even start the fight, the fight is already finished. It's kind of like they say, you know, in, in sports when they say, hey, the game is fixed. In other words, before they even started, they determined who was going to win. In boxing sometimes, they say the promoters and, and the money makers, you know, and, and the TV networks, hey, they fixed this fight because they want two or three fights. In other words, it doesn't matter who's in there. They've already determined who was going to win. Now, whether that's true or not, it's true in the kingdom of God. I said we are in a fixed fight. And we are winners because of Jesus Christ in our life. Y'all ought to get excited about this tonight. In 1 John chapter 5, the exact same Bible book, if you go to chapter 5, verse number 4 and 5, the Bible says this. For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? He said that you've overcome the world. Amen. So in other words, the first thing God needs us to do is just reposition our faith and reposition our mind. Number one, you and I are not losers. Hallelujah. We're not down in the mud of life trying to hold our head up to survive. God's got us, folks. He's got our back. And I look around at all of this bad news that's taking place in the world, and it's almost discouraging when you listen to some believers who are talking about all the stuff that's happening in the political world, all that's happening in the medical world, all that's happening out there in the broader world. And when you listen to some people, you would almost think that Satan is greater than God. You would almost think that somehow the church is the weakest organization, you know, in all of the community. You would think that the state house here in Georgia is more powerful than the church house. That's a lie in Jesus' name. Y'all talk to me somehow. 
And so you would almost believe that listening to people and watching them. And so all God is saying is you better understand who you are and who Jesus Christ is inside of your life. He said we are overcomers. Everybody say amen. Amen. Now notice in the text that I just read to you in Revelation chapter 2. Jesus is speaking to the church at Pergamos. And he simply says to them, as we go into these words in verse number 17, take a look at it. It says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes... I will give some of the hidden manna to eat and I will give him a white stone and on the stone a new name written which no one knows except for him who receives it. Now I'm going to talk about that white stone in just a minute. But before I talk about that, I just want to show you something that is as obvious as the nose on your face. And that is simply this. To him who overcomes. Everybody's not an overcomer. In other words, Jesus is specifically giving a unique promise to those of us who are listening to me tonight and those of you online listening and all around the globe who would read this and make up your mind, you know what? I am an overcomer. And when I walk into a fight, I know I'm going to come out the other side. In other words, it's all about an attitude that you carry in your Christian faith. He's speaking and giving a unique promise not to everyone. He says, to him that overcomes. Now, some of you listening to me, you might be in a situation right now where you don't qualify for this. Because all you do is walk around with your head down. And everybody on your job is greater than you. Everybody in the state of Georgia has more dominion than you. You're always worried about the Republicans and the Democrats. You're worried about your mother-in-law and your father-in-law. You're worried about what's going on on your job. You're worrying about things like mandates and all of this kind of stuff. And you walk around as if you're this defeated person. And what Jesus is saying, if you keep living with that attitude, you're going to live yourself right out of this promise to him who overcomes how many of you tonight want to be an overcomer all right then I want you all to listen closely in other words everybody who is a quitter you have to stop being a quitter everybody who is a whiner you have to stop being a whiner Everybody who is an excuse maker, you have to stop being an excuse maker. Why, pastor? Because you can't claim this. He says to him who overcomes. You know, I dealt with a young lady some years ago over in London when we had our first building. And she came to the congregation and she hated her sister. Because her sister had moved in on her boyfriend. 
Now, one of them was 18 and the other one was 13. And the 13-year-old sister moved in and took the 18-year-old sister's boyfriend away. I know I felt the same way, y'all. Lord, have mercy. Now, when the older sister came to the church and gave her life to Jesus, she would always respond to the invitations when we would talk about letting stuff go and you have to be able to forgive and you got to be able to have the kindness and the love of God. And she would always struggle and she would talk to me, Pastor, I don't know if I can forgive my sister, but she would never tell me, you know, what the sister did. Well, finally... The sister came to church with the mom. She invited her mom to church. And the sister came to the church. And she came up to me and said, I don't even want her in the church. And she went out on the church steps and wouldn't even attend the service. That's how much she hated her young sister. By now, the younger sister was about 15 years old. And she had this hatred for her. And I'm just kidding. You got to get over this. But she would never get over it. Well, she stopped attending the church. The mom and the younger sister kept coming. She walked away from church. Well, if they're going to be in this church, then I can't be in here with them. How many know that's a nasty little attitude? And you're talking about somebody in your own family. And this thing was so deep. It was so dark. It was so heavy. She backslid, went right back into the world and began to serve the devil. It was an ugly thing to behold because she did not realize that I can overcome this. And I'm saying it to you all here tonight because you might be thinking about this poor girl in England and saying, wow, pastor. But listen, we're many years past that now. We're in Atlanta, 2021. And there's some of you who are not overcoming. There's things as you're listening to me tonight that you have not let go of, that you haven't been able to overcome. And here is the danger, is that you are going to miss your promise. You are going to miss this glorious, unique thing that the Lord Jesus is speaking about here in this scripture because he's addressing only a certain type of people. And the people are, he says, to those who overcome. And he says, I'm going to give them this hidden manna and I'm going to give them this white stone. Now, I want to, in a minute, talk about what are the, those, those unique things that he's talking about. Because it would almost seem like, well, there's nothing special about that because you don't know who God is. <laughs> see, overcomers are people who can see the hardness and see the difficulty, but they lean on God instead of on themselves. Because you know, in and of yourself, it is hard to forgive people. Amen. Come on, in and of yourself, it is difficult to let seduction go and, and lust and drugs and crack and alcoholism. It's, it's hard to let that spirit of mammon and greed and love of money, it really is hard letting those things go on your own. This is why so many people struggle in their Christianity because it isn't easy. But the thing is, with God, you can do it. Didn't the Bible says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? So let me stop for a minute right here and make a 
very, very, very clear admission. Now, I'm a preacher, and I'm not just here saying, oh, you can overcome. Greater is he that is in you. My people should, you know, you just, oh, hallelujah, preacher, preacher. You know, but then you got to leave this atmosphere, and you got to go make it happen. So I'm not just kind of winding you up so that you can say, oh, I can do it, I can do it, and then go out there and let the devil chop your head off. I'm here to admit fully that some things are harder than others. Why else would Jesus say, overcome? Come on, folks, be honest. And and when people aren't honest, that's how they get themselves into trouble. Because these preachers get up and promise people a bed of roses and promise them that everything is going to be all right. I can't make you that promise. But I can tell you that God will be with you. Hallelujah. You know, there are some families (laughs) that are harder to live in than others. Woo! Listen, my dad was a good man. My mom worked hard, raised 10 children. My dad held down two jobs so that he could pay all of our bills and get us through school. He was a very strong disciplinarian. I never heard him say a bad word. and He never did, you know, drugs or alcohol or anything like that. He was a good, solid, strong Christian man. So growing up in our home was pretty easy. He slapped the fire out of you if you didn't act right. No, there wasn't none of this stuff where he's cheating with another woman and we got to deal with all that drama and, you know, baby mama drama. And, you know, my mom wasn't crazy and she wasn't on pills and on Xanax and all kind of stuff like that. You know, my dad was a church going man. He wasn't a drunkard who came stumbling home on the weekend and all kind of stuff like that. Growing up in our house was pretty easy. But there are some houses It's not as easy as I had it. There's some houses where mom's a prostitute. Dad's a cocaine addict. And when you come home, ain't nobody there. And there ain't no food. And when mama shows up, it's with somebody who ain't daddy. And when daddy shows up, he's violent and angry. Some of you know what I'm talking about. There's some families where there's nothing but perversion. There's a lot of unhappiness and abuse. There's all kind of bad language going on. There's all kind of words being spoken. And I'm a pastor. I sit down and counsel with people. And I can tell you when people come to me and they're weeping and they're crying, all I can say, you know what? I can't relate to what you say. And I had a good mom. I had a good dad. And I have to admit when I'm praying with them that your situation is a lot more harder than anything I had to deal with. Come on. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Come on. There are some jobs that you all work on that are harder to go to work than other jobs. Listen, I'm here to admit it freely. You know, some people can go to work. The boss loves you. He treats you nice. Oh, come on. He's got the donuts and the coffee. Right? He's what he comes. How was your weekend? And give you a hug, and everybody sit together in the boss's office and strategize. And oh, it's just so good going to work. But then there's other people you go to work. You 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 dread getting out the elevator. Everybody's miserable. There's all kind of gossip and drama going on. 
You don't even want to be there. People trying to get you fired. Other ladies, they're jealous of you because you look better. Guys are hitting on you and, and the bosses, you know, all kind of stuff. And you just got to go there and you, just, you come home from work. Uh, you know, some play, y'all know what I'm talking about. Come on, y'all say amen. What I'm saying is some places are easier to work at than other places. Some schools are easier to go to than other schools. What about them nice little schools they up in Gwinnett County? You know, the teacher up there high-fiving everybody. Then you go down in southwest Atlanta, you go to school, and they got metal detectors taking, taking guns from 12-year-olds. Yeah. You know, some people, the worst habit they got is chewing gum. Other people, the worst habit they got is, is just doing cocaine. You know, and just, you know just, it's, it's just some habits are harder. Some bondages are more difficult. Some situations, come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. And so when people come to church and give their life to Jesus, it's not an easy road for everybody. I know you sitting over here in your side of the church in your perfect little life, and you see people over there crying and struggling. Why don't y'all just shut up? You know, just leave people alone. You don't know what people are going through. You don't know how hard of a time it took for them just to get to church this morning. And so what Jesus is saying in this scripture to the church at Pergamos, he said, I know where y'all at. He said, your church is in a place where Satan has made a throne. Your church is in a place where Satan has a seat set up. He said, and everything seems to be more difficult than other people. And it's so true. And all he's trying to tell us is that if you can overcome, I've got a special reward for you. Amen. In other words, He's not coming down, folks, and removing all the obstacles. God is not coming down and making everything easy. You know what? But what he's saying is, uh, I will help you, and if you can overcome, you are going to be one of the special people in God's eternity. Boy, I tell you, there's some wives. Woo! When they say, hey, some of them wives talk to me. And tell me about some of the shenanigans that their husbands are up to. I'd be like, sis, whoo. You got a rough one right there. What y'all ladies looking to be like that for? Mm-hmm. Listen, there's, there's some rough sisters too. There's some women that are hard to live with. This is what God is saying. He said, I recognize that. But guess what? He said, you can't throw your marriage away. You have to be an overcomer. Y'all say amen. amen. You have to dig a little bit deeper in God. You have to pray a little bit harder. You have to be a little bit more faithful. He said, I understand that Satan is working. I know that there's been an access point for demons and devils in your marriage, in your life, on your job, in your home, in your city. He said, some places are more difficult. He said, but it does not change God. Because your victory is not on your back. Your victory is in God in your life. Everybody say amen. amen. You know, when I tell some of my stories, you know, from my years living in Jamaica, me and 
Pastor Jay, who is one of the pastors in England, he's also a Jamaican. And we get together, you know, and during conference and during times when we get together, and we just start laughing and telling stories about Jamaica. Because there's so many demons in that little island. I mean, those voodoo, obia, witchcraft demons, they get in people's head and people just crazy. Oh, my goodness. One of my favorite stories to tell is about a young man who calls me daddy. His name is Anthony Gale, and he's really not young. He's, he's almost 50 years old now. But when Anthony Gale got saved, he was a guy who was left on his aunt's doorstep by his parents because he was born and he was crippled. He has one of those legs that are locked and twisted and one of those arms that are locked and twisted. And so when he walks, he kind of walks like this. His arm and his leg don't function. Some of you who've been to Jamaica, you've met Anthony. And so he kind of walks like this. Well, Anthony's been in that church, uh, you know, ever since we were there. Anthony has not had it easy in life. Can you imagine getting left on a doorstep by your mama? And the aunt... She's a sufferer. She's a poor lady. She doesn't even have what it takes to raise him. So she puts him in the garage. And that's where he's forced to live, inside of a garage, in the back of the house. No mom, no dad. And they would throw him scraps every now and then. And he would walk the streets begging from as far as he could remember. Not able to go to school and get an education until he came upon our church on an outreach preaching the gospel and he heard that Jesus Christ loved him. And we would preach that scripture when your mother and your father have forsaken you, Jesus will lift you up. He would hear those scriptures like in the book of Psalms where it would say God places the solitary into families and, and we would preach how Jesus loved them. And old Anthony came and gave his heart to Jesus and became a member of that church. And for the first time, he had him a family. That's why he started calling me Daddy, Daddy Carnegie. And I love hearing it. Sometimes he'll call me, Daddy, I say, Anthony. <laughs> He's so happy to see me. I'm so happy to see him. And he's still walking around with that bad leg and that bad arm. That's Anthony Gale. You know, one year, Anthony Gale had a horrible, horrible accident. And it's not as if, you know, he's already had a hard life. And what happened was he was sitting on the engine cover of one of the buses there in Jamaica. And the engine cover is kind of on the inside near the driver, and you would sit on it. And the engine exploded and overheated, and it blew the engine cover off, and all the hot, scalding water from the radiator just doused him from head to toe. He's like, of all the things that would happen to all the people, Anthony Gale is like, man, you can't get a break in life. They rushed him to the hospital. All of his skin was peeling. God. When I went to see him in the hospital, they couldn't even cover him with a sheet because 
all the skin had just melted off because of the, the, the burns. And, and you, the, the, you know, his flesh is kind of dark brown like mine, but it all, all of it had peeled off and it was all pink from his neck right down. He's laying there naked in front of everybody. They couldn't even cover him. It was so humiliating. And I would walk into the room and he would just be grimacing in pain. I said, Anthony, are they giving you painkillers? He would say, yes, daddy, yes. And we would get to talking and he would say something so off the cuff. He'd say, how was church? I said, man, stop worrying about church. You know, and all he was concerned about was how was church and how is so-and-so and how's Wilbur and he's calling people's name. He's laying there naked with it, just trying to get some skin to grow on his, on his body. They end up taking from his back some skin to try to graft the front, but it was so bad that eventually they couldn't. And so if he lifts up his shirt now, you can still see the pink flesh, even though it's kind of healed up, but it, it, it is so grotesque. And so when he got out of the hospital and he came to church and on the first Sunday back to church, Anthony is walking around the church, lifting up his shirt, showing people, look, look. He's walking with that leg, lifting up his shirt. These are like war wounds to him. He's proud of his scars. God saved me from death, he would tell people. Listen, this is a, a man who was left on the doorstep, rejected and abandoned, begging his entire life until in his early 20s he came and, and gave his heart to Jesus in that church, has all kind of difficulties in life, never had a stable place to live, but he found Jesus. And when he found Jesus... Instead of complaining about how he was born and what his mom did to him and not being able to work and keep a job and, and have money, the engine blowing up on him and burning him almost over the whole part of his front of his body, he lifts it up and shows people how God saved him from death. Why am I telling you this? Anthony is an overcomer. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This is a guy who there's a special place in heaven, Jesus says, because here's a guy who not like us because, you know, our, our, we, we lost our shoestrings and so we can't serve God. <laughs> you know, there was no bacon and eggs this morning, so I'm going to backslide and I'm just going to stop serving the Lord. Stuff like that. Here's a man who is an overcomer. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And this is a great promise that Jesus gives to the church of Pergamos. Now, the reason this is in the Bible is not because it's a history lesson about Pergamos, but it's an encouragement to us. The reason it's here is not because he wants us to be all well-versed about Pergamos, because this is Atlanta. Where Brother Victor is at is Japan. Where Patrick Jordan's at is Kingston, Jamaica. 
Where my friend Ray Ruby's at is Las Vegas, uh, New Mexico. Where Pastor Harold's at is Tucson, Arizona. And you can take out Pergamos and put anywhere where there's a church. And basically it would be the same thing. To him that overcomes. Hallelujah. And so he mentions two things. He said, if you will overcome it. First of all, it tells me everybody's not an overcomer, but it does tell me that some people can overcome. Hallelujah tonight. Which means that if you want to be an overcomer, you can be. And I don't know about you folks, but I want to be. Because I don't want to drag myself through life and all of the difficulties and all the pain. All I'm doing is complaining to everybody all of my days. I want to take Jesus into all of my difficulties and I want it to be a testimony. Look what God can do. Not look how I have stood, but look at how Jesus Christ has brought me through. Hallelujah tonight. So the two things he promises. One is I will give them the hidden manna. Now, you all know that manna was the provision in the Bible where God supernaturally in the middle of the night rained down that food from heaven. And when they woke up in the morning and went out, it was like dew in the grass and they would pick it up. And they had food for the day. It came in the middle of the night. They didn't see it when it fell. All they knew is that when they woke up every morning, the manna was there. It was God's supernatural provision. So here's what he's saying. He said, if you will be an overcomer, I will give you supernatural provision. In other words, you won't even know where the money came from. Say amen, somebody. You won't even know where the healing came from. Are y'all listening to what I'm saying? You won't even know how that marriage was being held together. He said it's like a supernatural provision. He said it's like hidden manna or hidden provision. God said this is what I'm going to do for you. My people who are overcomers, what he's saying is God is going to be following you through life. And when you don't even see a way, God is going to make a way. Thank you, Jesus, tonight. I will give you the hidden manna. And then the other thing he says is I will give them a white stone. Now, I want you to look back at the scripture, and I'm going to say this just before I finish. Look at it. This Revelation chapter 2. I'm going to read verse 17 one more time. Take a look at it. It says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give him some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone. Watch. And on the stone, a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Hmm. A white stone. Now, I want you to imagine if I had a white stone in my hand here tonight and I said listen I said come up here brother Will brother Victor come up here brother Danny Nate y'all come and stand up here you've been an overcomer you've done a good job I said brother Tyrell oh God sees you man you've done good come up here and get your reward you come up here and then I give you a stone and you say pastor that's all you got 
I'm out here fighting the devil. I'm out here doing all, and you're going to give me a stone? And you say, what, Pastor, what's so significant about a, a white stone? You say, but that just seems so, so silly. And on the surface, it does seem silly. And so I searched, folks, listen to me. I searched high and low. I pulled out every Bible commentary. I studied every Greek reference, cross-reference, lexicon that I possibly could. And I'm praying. I'm saying, God, what is this white stone? Because ain't nobody going to get excited about putting a stone in their pocket and saying, thank you, Jesus. The hidden manna, I get it. While I'm sleeping, you're doing miracles. Hallelujah. I get it, Lord. While I'm over here crying, you, you, you're bringing healing and deliverance. I get the hidden manna. But, but, but why do I need to get excited? Because you're going to give me a white stone. Man, I'm searching, y'all. And I couldn't find any. I'm calling my friends who are pastors. Tell me about this white stone. They said, I don't know. And I just kept on reading, you know, and you would, you would see things, but your spirit wouldn't agree. You know, you, you, your spirit sometimes would say yes and amen to some of the crazy things some of these theologians would say. But they would say things, and you'd be like, nah, that ain't what it means. <laughs> One Bible teacher said that during the Greek era of the time of Jesus, says that during trials in those Greek tribunals, it said what they would do, it said that they would have a black stone and a white stone in a cup. And after the trial, you know, and the judge would ask the jury pretty much, okay, what is your choice? Is the person innocent or guilty? And it said if they were guilty, they would reach in the cup and pull out the black stone. And if they were innocent, they would pull out the white stone. I said, nah. That might be true. I said, but that ain't, that ain't it. <laughs> I read another one that was a, had a little bit more Holy Ghost on it. And basically what it was, it says that whenever you were hospitable to someone, maybe you helped someone out. Let's say, for instance, they're their car broke down and you came over to help them or they had a flat tire on Claremont Road and so you came over to help them change their tire or, or whatever, help them move their furniture, whatever the case may be. You did something nice to someone. It says what they would do in the Roman period of Jesus' day, it says is that they would give somebody a white stone and you could come back later and you could present that and it would prove that they owed you a favor. In other words, you did something for me back here and here. You take this white stone and hey, whenever you need to reclaim your favor, even if I'm not here, the family is obligated to help you because you helped us. You were hospitable. You were charitable. And I said, you know what? That's got a little bit more Holy Ghost on it, but still, nah, that ain't it. But then one of my favorite authors, a guy who was a Scottish theologian. He mentioned about the Roman gladiators. He mentioned the Bible verses about the Apostle Paul 
about the reef, you know, the Bible talks about receiving a crown and how that during the, the time of Jesus, the Romans would have these games and the Bible talks about running the race and receiving a crown. And some of you may have seen those old movies about the Roman gladiators during the Bible days and they would fight in the arena, you know, and they would fight to the death and Caesar would sit there and they would cheer. And, and so he started talking about a story that he read from one of the old Roman historians. And when he said it, I said, you know what, God, I'm feeling this. Let me tell you what it was. He said, whenever someone who was smaller, like David fighting Goliath, when you have an obvious champion or an obvious winner, and then the underdog is in there and he's got his sword and he's swinging and, you know, and all of a sudden the lesser defeats the greater. Said they would cheer and they would get so excited that they would give this person a white stone. Now listen, and what it did is it gave them access to sit in the private box with like the emperor, like Caesar or Pompey or Nero or whoever it may be. You're able to sit up there with Herod and Pontius Pilate, you know, in the special section where all the dignitaries were, even though you're a lesser person and you just might be a common farmer, you know, from out in the country, you're not royal like them, but because you won in that arena and you showed such courage and you showed such stamina and you didn't let the obvious greater person defeat you. They said, you know, and they would give you a white stone and what that would give you the ability to do is go right up into that special seating area where all the dignitaries were and you could sit among them and receive the same honor and dignity that they receive even though you're just a common person like everybody else. Why? Because they wanted overcomers in their presence. They wanted people who were warriors in their presence. They wanted people who would fight and not give up. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And when he said it and he gave the date of when these things would happen, and it was during the Palestinian period when Jesus walked the earth, and I said, you know what, God, if it ain't true, I'm going to claim it in Jesus' name. You know why? Because it was Jesus who said in the New Testament when, uh, when, when, when two of the young disciples asked him, can we sit on your right hand and on your left? And Jesus says, no, that's for those for whom it has been reserved. And all of a sudden you start feeling these scriptures out and you realize that he says, hey, even God wants certain people in his presence. Jesus says, everybody can't sit in that seat. I know you guys have good intentions. He said, but that is reserved for special people. And so when you come back to this text, he says, to them who overcome, I'll give a white stone. Folks, it's the best I can give you all tonight. Because on that white stone, the Roman historian says that a name was written. 
and no one knew what that name was. They wrote it on there for the person who won in that gladiator kind of setting. You know, they might call you champion. They could call you overcomer. They might call you dominion. They can call you anything. But they gave you a special name because you prevailed in an almost impossible situation. And basically what Jesus says in this text lines right up with what they said. He said, because no one knows what's written on that stone except for the person who receives it. In other words, God is overjoyed that you fight the devil and win. God is overjoyed that you hang in there in difficult circumstances and don't quit. Oh, it gets God so excited that you can face the fire like the three Hebrew boys. It says, even though you throw me in the fire, we will not bow. Come on, say amen. amen. Oh, like Daniel, when they threw him in the den of lions and said, go ahead and throw me in. I still am going to pray to my Lord and Savior. And here we are in Atlanta, Georgia, 2021. And God still feels the same. When you walk outside of this church and you got to fight and you got to face all the bad news and all the difficulties and all the hardship. But you say, God, I'm ready because with you, I can do all things. And instead of just backing away, and letting the devil take over, you decide that I'm going to stand with God and God is glorified in your life. Let me finish. You know, some of you may have heard me talk about a girl named Jessica. And she's one of the people who I have. I told you all about my journal that during my years of traveling around the world and preaching, I met so many people who I put in my journal. It's like stories that are amazing, things that people have done. And, you know, from time to time, I'll reach in that journal and I'll pull out one of those stories. And one of the stories is about a girl named Jessica. Jessica lived in Jamaica. And she was an amazing woman because when she got saved, She's one of those people who would never, like, never, ever, 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 like, never, ever, ever, ever not come to church. Pastors like people like that. If it's storming, she come to church wet. If the gangs are out there shooting, she's coming to church anyway. If she's sick and feel like she got the flu, she was just sitting in the back away from everybody. But she loved the presence of God so much that nothing would stop her from coming to church. And it was almost like a joke. Like, man, is there anything that can stop her from coming to church? The answer was no. And it's so good to see that level of faithfulness because it lets you know that if one person can do it, everybody can do it. So Jessica would always come to church. And so here's what would happen. One Sunday night, <laughs> Jessica came to church and she had these dark sunglasses on. And you know, Jamaica has a lot of sun during the day, but it was nighttime. 
And we're like, you know, what's Jessica trying to do? Trying to be Hollywood or what? Yeah, she's got these big dark sunglasses on and she's in the service. You know, so people greeting her and, you know, Jessica. And she would just kind of laugh and she had these sunglasses on and she wouldn't take them off. So, you know, people just kind of let it pass. And so this went on for like two or three weeks. She's got these dark sunglasses on. And so me and one of the pastors, a guy named Junior, we were out in the area where she lived one day. And we said, hey, man, let's just stop in on Jessica. Unannounced. We didn't call. We didn't tell her we were coming. We were just doing something in the area. I can't remember. We were picking up some flyers or some advertising for the church. And we just happened to be near her house. We said, hey, man, let's just stop in and say hi. So we pulled into the driveway, knocked on the door. And Jessica came to the door. She was not expecting us. And when she came to the door, she opened the door and she saw us and she screamed. Ah! Because she didn't have her sunglasses on. And we saw that she had bruises and two black eyes. Her husband was beating her. And so she would put the sunglasses on so nobody at church could see the bruises from her beatings from her husband. But she still wanted to praise God. So she just put on her sunglasses and came to church. Never said anything to us about getting those beatings. Never told us what he was doing. She'd be back there with her hands raised, praising God, singing the songs, dancing like she always was. Her heart was in pain. Her face was in pain. And you never knew it. And when we caught her without her sunglasses on, and she screamed and ran back in the house and put her sunglasses on, and when she came back to the door, we said, Jessica, it's too late. We already saw it. I'm sorry, Pastor. I said, why didn't you tell us? I didn't want to complain, and she just starts making geeks. I said, Jessica, Jessica, it's okay. You know, eventually she healed from those bruises. But me and Pastor Junior, we learned something. Jessica's an overcomer. Now, I'm not telling you to take beatings from no man or anything like that. That's not why I'm telling you the story. The reason I'm telling you the story is because here's a woman who is suffering immensely, but it does not change her faithfulness to God and her heart for worship. She's decided that if I've got to live with this man and I've got to take these beatings, then I'm just going to take it but I'm not going to let my children become affected. I'm not going to let my Christian life become affected. And what Jesus says is he says, I've got something for people like you. Because you're in situations that are a lot more difficult than other people will ever know. And he recognizes in Pergamos that there are churches in this world that have to serve and have to minister in places way more difficult than others. Now, I don't know where you are here tonight, but I've just come to encourage you that you can make it. I've just come to tell you that with God on your side and with the Holy Spirit in you, you can position yourself to be an overcomer. 
And if you're here and you've, you're, you're suffering silently, and it might not be like Jessica taking a beating, but it could just simply be so much disappointments in life and the voice of hell keeps telling you, you know what, uh, life keeps disappointing you. Why don't you just give up? But you say, you know what, I'm not going to give up. If I've got to go to heaven on a road of disappointment, then that's what I'm going to do. But I'm not giving up on God. I'm going to overcome. Say amen. If I've got to live in this difficult situation all the way until I go see Jesus, if I've got to cry myself to sleep every single night, then I'm just going to cry myself to sleep every single night because God is still good. And God is still faithful. And all Jesus is saying is, I recognize that some of you might be there. And he just doesn't want you to know that you're alone. He doesn't want you to think that somehow you've been abandoned because the fact that you're still here means God's grace is still carrying you. He's still holding you up. You didn't think that you would make it this far. My wife and I can tell you, being missionaries for all those years overseas in Jamaica and in England and some of the difficulty, and we look back, how did we make it? It was the grace of God. It wasn't our strength, folks. Sometimes we lost all strength, but God held us up. And I'm here to tell you God will hold you up. Don't let the difficulty of life or the pains of life cause you to back away. He said, to him that overcomes, I'll give you that hidden manna. That's why you're still going right now. He said, but one day you're going to have a special.